Everyone and welcome to Ladies Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Shahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com, and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca! His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast through shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at U.S. Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our U.S. Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ladies' Night. This is Jennifer Shahadi, and today I'm really excited as I have a guest who is both a longtime friend and an incredible rock star of design and creativity. It is the one and only Frankie Butler. She is the creative director at U.S. Chess, and she's responsible for the direction of some amazing recent covers like the Streamer Boom cover, the RZA cover, and of course... Who could forget that Queen's Gambit gem with um, Anya Teller-Joy on the cover of Chess Life magazine. Frankie has also helped me tremendously in my work with developing the U.S. Chess Women brand. Frankie, thank you so much for joining me on Ladies' Night. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really pleased, actually, you've invited me onto your podcast because lately in my, my role as creative director, I've, I've sort of established a bit more of a presence on social media People are asking me, so what, what exactly do you do for US Chess? And so this is actually a great opportunity for me to explain a little bit more about my work. So thank you. Frankie, can you tell me a little bit about your background in design work and how you ended up at US Chess over 10 years ago? Well, okay, going right back to the start for, for me with my design career, I went to School of Visual Arts, did graphic design. And then from there, I started to... Uh, do temp work around New York City, and I worked for a number of different ad agencies. Let's see, Saatchi and Saatchi, uh, probably names that you would know, maybe uh, McCann Erickson. Oh, I worked at Showtime as well for a while, TV channel. And then I think I, I found my way towards HarperCollins Publishers, and that's where I worked for about three years as an art director. And that was my, uh, first, my first experience, really, of running a team being ahead of a team and hiring freelancers to handle all of the uh, advertising campaigns for all the books that HarperCollins publish. So I was there for about three years. And then I, I, I realized I got pregnant with my first child. And I decided that I didn't want to keep going out to work. And I would much rather be able to be at home. But I, I also wanted to continue working. So I was looking for a job that would enable me to, to do that. And so my, my old next door neighbor who she's the two-time women's chess champion. This person you're talking about, your next door neighbor, she sounds like a really cool person. I mean. Yeah, I mean, my neighbor, because she's you. Um, <laughs> and so this old neighbor popped up and said to me, hey, Frankie, did you know that US Chess is looking for an art director for a Chess Life magazine? And so that's that's really how it all happened. I came for the interview and, and got the job and, and did Chess Life magazine for 
you know, a good decade. And only recently have I sort of, my job has changed a little bit and I've become creative director and taken on sort of broader scope of, of different things for, for US chess. But that, that's how it happened all those years ago. It is such so amazing. And that just goes to show the power of connections and network, which I think is a completely underrated skill that chess can give people. I do remember you um you met Dan Lucas, who's also still um at Chess Life now is the communications director. Um and that was that was uh, an immediate, I think, great match as um he he definitely saw your your passion for visuals and design work. Um, can you tell me, have you always had a knack for it? Because I remember even when we were friends long ago, it just always seemed like you were you were so well put together. Your, you know, your loft apartment in Brooklyn was always like so well decorated. Is this like <laughs> something you were born with? Like how did you like develop that just kind of skill for like what looks right? That's a great question. And actually bringing back memories for me of my my old loft in Brooklyn. You know, you obviously lived down down the road a little bit yourself. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think design and that sort of that field is just something sometimes people just have a flair for. And I've just always really loved it. And um, when you think about Chess Magazine, there's an awful lot of elements involved in creating a page because you've got, you know, your game credits and um, diagrams. You've got the uh, moves and the, uh, the details about the game. You've got images you want to somehow involve in there as well. Um, so it is a lot of elements. It does take, uh, you know, a certain kind of eye to make sure that you don't make the pages too busy with too many things going on. And so yeah, we've sort of applied that that design approach to the magazine over the years. We you probably noticed that our diagrams are quite understated. They're a light shade of gray and white. And we do that to make sure that they don't compete too much with all the other images that we might have on that page or in that feature at the same time. So, you know, that certainly needs a bit of forethought and um, planning when it comes to how we lay out the pages. So many people in chess, whether they're a coach or a promoter or a streamer or a top player, they found themselves almost in this position where they're a small business and they have to create assets. They have to create a social media brand. What advice would you give to the non-designer who suddenly has this like responsibility to, you know, you know, put themselves out there on like what they should do to kind of present themselves professionally before they maybe have the resources to, you know, hire a team? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I mean, I think if you're if you're somebody new that's starting to build your own brand, there's many free ways to sort of go about starting that process. And I think that, you know, first of all, you would need to identify, I don't know, maybe a few key words that describe yourself, you know, three words that if you had to sum up your brand in three words, then what those three words were. And then also what you could do is sort of start researching on Pinterest, for example, looking for things that just looked right to you, that sort of had the right feeling for the sort of brand that you want to create. And then people do all kinds of different things from there. You could create a mood board, for example, and just bring everything together, look at it all together, pick out typefaces that you think are the right feel for what your your, what your brand is. Um, there's many ways to approach it. Um, Ultimately, what you're aiming for is for an, an outgoing product that everything that you put out there has the same feel to it. But try to be careful about not being too all over the place, you know. Um, that's, a, that's probably the best advice I could really give. You know, choose a typeface, stick to it. Choose some colors, stick to those. Um, you know, your message needs to be, whatever your messaging is, it needs to always have the same cohesion, if that makes sense. <laughs> 
without without throwing anyone under the bus, like, and it doesn't even have to be chess related at all. Can you give me some examples of like social media or like, you know, typical design fails where you're just like, no, that just doesn't look right. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough one. Design fails. I mean, usually spend my time admiring design successes. So I don't know how to answer that one, to be honest. Um, yeah, in fact, I just can't. I, I think that, um, as a matter of fact, I have been looking at this quite closely lately because in addition to working for a US chess, I, I actually do a little bit of other freelance work here and there. I'm working, I've uh, just started working for a, a new charity called, uh, it's all about uh, chronic pain disorder. And uh, we've been studying, me and the team have been looking at um, examples of other charities that often put out the same sorts of messaging that they would like to deliver. They're quite new. They don't have much funding. And so we're working together to build their social media presence a little bit, you know? And so we've actually been looking at a company, uh, sorry, a charity over here in the UK called Macmillan. It's a cancer charity, um, support people who have just been diagnosed with people with cancer. And so it's actually, it's amazing when you start to look at um, the way that these different charities deliver their messaging. It's very inspiring. And um, so rather than finding somebody that doesn't do it well, I, I want to give Macmillan a shout out for doing an amazing job. So we've been quite inspired by them over the last few days looking at their work. What are like the, their like effective methods of you know getting their, their message out? I think what they do, they use bright, bold colors. Um, they have a really fun font that just looks a little bit bubbly or fluffy. I don't know how to describe it, but... <laughs> um, and they just, um, you know, because obviously the subject of cancer is a tough one and, and dealing with, um, you know, help supporting people with, you know, on social media, their whole community is, is out there for people with cancer to, to reach out to. And so they just make it seem so incredibly welcoming and supportive. And I just love the, their messaging is all about, you know, they don't go on and on about cancer. They just talk about other things that sort of make people feel better and it's warm and fuzzy and I just love them. Oh my God. It makes me want to check that out. I'll, I'll have to find a link and I'll put a link in the uh, the notes. You are the creative director for US Chess, which is a 501c3. And it sounds like a lot of the other work that you do freelance is also for incredibly good causes. And can you tell me why you've decided to kind of like devote your design career um, to this sector? I mean, are you, you're open to all work, but it does seem like this kind of like specifically resonates with you. You're right. It does actually. And and I think the way I would answer that is that I didn't know how much I loved working in the third sector until I did. Because once I worked for, you know, when you start working for US, for US Chess or any charity, I, I assume is you just get the feeling that the work you're doing is useful and beneficial to other people rather than you know, just sort of cranking something out because you've been assigned that particular uh, product to sell, for example. And I'm not knocking anybody that does do that for a living. But for me, I just really love the feeling of doing work that was useful. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of your favorite chess players to work with, be either because they're really photogenic, love being in front of the camera, or just really easy to arrange things with and bring a lot of creativity to the table? Oh, well, as far as chess players go, as it happens, the upcoming issue of Chess Live features one of the most photogenic players that I've, that I've seen, at least, and that's Wesley So, because he just has the most amazing smile. He's got amazing teeth. <laughs> I have teeth envy. Um, and he's just such a, such, such a pleasant face to put on the cover. So he's, he's actually our cover subject for, for the next issue. And so you'll see his lovely smile on the cover and again inside the magazine <laughs> in various places. Um, so that's a good example of somebody pretty great uh, to work with. 
Yeah, Wesley's great. He's um he's got that great smile and he's well known for never saying anything bad about somebody. So he like, you know, beats Magnus Carlsen once and you know, he obviously is beating Magnus Carlsen more than once. He he actually demolished him in the uh the Fisher Random World Championship. Uh, I guess that was a couple years ago now. Um but uh after he he wins like big games like that, he's just like he never says anything bad about his opponent. It's always like, yeah, you know, the guy, he had a he had an off day, um, and you know he's such a great player. So, he, so he's that, as nice as he looks, in other words. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think about who's super photogenic and you know and so forth, but I, that's difficult to say. There's been so obviously we've done so many covers at this point. You know, it's all a blur of awesome covers in the past. Um, but I don't know about actual subjects. But lately, I've been working with some pretty cool people. Um, I mean, that's my job is to, you know work with the team and, and work with John Hartman's editor and, and we get together and we talk about who's going to be on the cover and or what the cover subject is. And we, we just sort of, we all brainstorm together about what, how might we go for this particular issue? You know, what will we do? Whether it's using a photo, booking a photographer or um, working with an illustrator or coming up with some sort of concept cover. If it's not about a person, maybe we need to come up with something, uh, something else creative. And so um, we work together in that way. And as a matter of fact, your question, even though it's about who, who we put on the cover, I'm thinking more of a particular artist that we worked with very recently, who is amazing. And I've just had so much fun working with him. And his name is Neil Jameson. And he was responsible for the art on the cover of the new chess boom, which may, many readers, many members might remember that one uh, because it was quite recent. It was back in, what was it? August? August. Yeah, that was yeah. our oldest cover. And so he he and I worked together to create that cover. And I basically sent him 50 photos and said, can you make this into a cover? And so he took those 50 photos. It took a fair bit of coordination. We had to do a lot of back and forth, like, who are we missing here? Hopefully, And then we kept adding more and more people because we kept thinking of people. He's like, ah, you know, I'm dying over here in Photoshop. But he managed to create this beautiful cover and fit 50 different players or maybe it was 48 I forget I think it's 48 but you know it started out with about 20 and we just kept adding them <laughs> it was amazing and I yeah I I was on that cover um it was about like the streaming and new media boom um Hikaru was the centerpiece of the cover uh the Botez sisters of course were there you know it, it was just like such a sensation people were just so excited about this cover and it's almost it like really, a piece of a little piece of history I'd say I think so yeah it made its rounds on the socials you know got lots of likes and it definitely I did regret that we did leave some people out but it was a very tough job to get everybody in you know we we pushed Neil to the absolute limit there it's like here's another one <laughs> we just in the end we we had to go to press, you know. We it was quite a quite a process, but a, a wonderful result. Yeah, and Eric Rosen wrote that cover story. Eric um, also in contention with Wesley as being one of the nicest guys, who's also a massive success in chess, mm -hmm. as he's now one of the most popular streamers and YouTubers. Um, yeah, but my point about that was that like, you know it's successful when when really successful people are like kind of sad that they weren't on it because it's like <laughs> it got so big. And that was that was really great. And oh, another photogenic player I, I remember on Chess Life magazine, um, Anya Taylor Joy. <laughs> you could say that she's oh, pretty well, photogenic. That, that cover photo was just phenomenal, wasn't it? Yeah. That's probably the, the cover that got the most attention of any Chess Life cover in history, I think. It really was amazing. 
And we were so lucky to be able to work directly with Netflix there. And they created those photos just for us. Um, and yeah, I think if I look back at my social media, I think that's the cover that got shared around and loved the most out of all the covers of all time. <laughs> well, yeah, it's nice that, you know, Chess Life um, or, you know, its predecessor, Chess Life and Review, um, actually played a role in the series. So I, I really felt like, um, you know, U.S. Chess in so many ways was part of that series. Um, with with both the the magazine and, and of course her like you know getting her first rating playing her first tournament, um, it was really cool to feel like there was that connection there. I know, and also there's that obviously there's a part in the series which where she plucks a magazine from a shelf in a newsagent's and it's Chess Life and Review. And I don't know about you, but that actually gave me kind of goosebumps a little bit. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> look, there's our magazine back in when, when was it? What year was that set in? The sixties, right? Yeah, the sixties. It's just so incredible that Chess Life was was being it was in print with a different name, of course. But the fact that it was in print back then is just phenomenal. I just love it. <laughs> yeah, and it was in the book as well, in the Walter Tevis book. That scene where she, um, you know, you know, plucked steel, stole the magazine. Um, but you can kind of so relate to that that people. Um, are so ravenous for like the information in chess magazines and books. And of course, um, you know, it's not right to steal anything, but it, you know, just Queen's Gambit really needed to create some conflict and some like, you know, some complications of the character, right? Because, you know, you can't just create a compelling character where she never does anything wrong, right? It's not very interesting then. Let's talk a little bit more about what you do on a typical day for U.S. chess. Um, I know every day is different, but do give us what a few different types of days might look like in your work. Um, well, let's see. So as I mentioned earlier, my, my role has sort of expanded a little bit over the last year or so, <clears throat> excuse me, to include um, more work on social media, for example, creating graphics for everybody who works at US Chess. Basically, people will come to me and they might have a story that they're posting online, something on the website, some other need. And it's my role to sort of help them with that and create graphics and visuals to go with what they're doing that has the right tone to it and has the right look and feel for US chess, right? So I would say that in the past, all I did was Chess Life magazine, really. But now I've got a broader res responsibility. And so I would say that my day generally consists of thinking about chess life, whether it's a feature inside the magazine and how I'm going to design that, or if we need to source some photos for that, um, or thinking about, you know, what are John Hartman and Brian Gerald posting online and do they need my help with coming up with graphics and visuals to go with that? Helping US chess women if, you know, Jen Shahadi needs Mad Woman's Book Club visuals um, and that sort of thing, you know. And I suppose in the last year or so, I think my role's expanded a bit more. So I'm, I'm sort of a bit more involved now. Like, for example, last year, over the just before the holidays, I worked with the development department to create um, a campaign for Giving Tuesday. Um, people may have seen that out there. We told, we told the story of Bill Brock, um, who is an amazing guy. He's a Chicago chess player, and he started out his, his story goes back to his childhood, which was quite tough, you know, and he managed to find solace in a chess club in the town that he grew up in. And he, his chess life just sort of grew from there. And he is now at this point 
you know, a, a huge figure in the chess world in Chicago, a very well-known player and respected contributor to the world of chess. So we told his story for Giving Tuesday, just to give an example of how somebody from a tough start had made their way in the world and chess had helped them, you know. So that was that was pretty fun to do. Um, so I'm getting more involved in that sort of work now too, like storytelling. And as a matter of fact, we, we do have more plans coming up further on in the year um, where we're going to be telling a lot more stories about our members and about chess players and, you know, all walks of life. Why, how did chess um, change your life? What did, what role does chess play in your life? You know, how did it touch your life? Did you use it to touch somebody else's life? And those stories we're hoping we'll be sharing some of those in upcoming months with members, supporters, followers online. So that's the sort of work I'm doing now, which I love. That's fantastic. And of course, that also has this great um, fundraising core element, which is so important because that's what keeps a lot of our um, programs and events and publications going, um, as well as, of course, memberships, which, um, you know, if you're listening to this, um, make sure your membership is renewed and current. We really appreciate it. Um, Frankie, uh, tell me, um, what about U.S. chess women? What are some of your... um, you know, core messages that you feel like you've wanted to get across with the assets and the design elements that you've created for me and for U.S. chess women? Okay, well, that's a good one. Let's see. So when we go back to when you and I first started talking about U.S. chess women and you were appointed uh, director of women's programs and, you know, the organization decided that you would have a logo. And so, but it would obviously tie closely to the U.S. chess logo since it's part of U.S. chess. And so we came up with the one that's on your hat right now, which is pretty cool. The color scheme that we went with when we were when we first began, we said, well, you know, we don't just want to go pink because it's chess for girls, right? So we said, let's go with a really bold looking logo that's more eye-catching and sort of bolder, not pink, not pastel, not too girly. And what we, as a matter of fact, the logo that I looked at when I created US Chess Women was the Chanel logo, which is all about red, black, big, bold, letters black on white you know and I really loved that and I thought that's that's the right that's the right look for U.S. chess women because of course we are sort of spanning from young younger players girls playing chess to older women chess players and so we wanted something that sort of encompassed all of that and I thought back then that red and black and gray those that color scheme would be the best but I think since we've explored it over the last year year and a half ish can't remember was it two years now how long have you (laughs) Sorry. How long have I been the director of women's programs? Yeah. I think it's been two years now. Yeah, two years, right? So over yeah. that time, I think we've we've found that some other materials we've developed along the way. Um, we've sort of gone with an electric pink and blue look for some of our more sort of younger, cooler. I don't know materials, and I think that seems to have gone over really well with everyone. So. While we had the right sort of mindset when we started out creating the, the the materials for US chess women, I feel like it sort of morphed into this new this new pink and blue thing, which I just love. And it's good because US chess, of course, is all about the blue, right? We've got a logo that has a sort of a cyan shade in it and a darker blue. And so we've sort of taken that cyan and we've mixed it with pink, but bright pink. There's no pastel stuff going on here. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I that's why it's fun fun for me to work with Frankie and hopefully for you to work with me because I actually find this stuff incredibly interesting. And I think that 
Um, the red and the black look so beautiful on physical assets like mm-hmm. chessboards, T-shirts, hats. But as the pandemic has caused so much of us, our worlds to move online, red as like a background for Zoom or even for some social media, it's difficult for like a face to pop out um, <laughs> from the red. It, it kind of is a bit overpowering. And if you kind of – if you go light red, well, then you're in pink anyway. And if you go dark red, it looks kind of like like a wine or something. So, yeah, th- that's that's one of the issues I think we found with red, that it it's um its range can be a little bit limited when you want to use it for, like, background purposes. Right. And I think it's perfectly fine, you know, with a brand in the early days. I mean, we, we had every reason to choose the color scheme that we did, and I think it worked. But as you say, going forward – trying to use different shades of red just wasn't really cutting it. And we were finding that we we're in that sort of pastel world that we definitely didn't want to be in. And so, yeah, I think it's totally fine. I think as we move forward now, we're going to go more with this, this really cool new color scheme that we've, we've kind of got going on, which I don't think people can see because it's, it's definitely behind us right now on zoom. We've got pink and blue, which looks cool. And I think that's where we're going. So get ready for bright pink, bright blue women's chess. <laughs> yeah, and I I totally agree with you. I think if something has like a theme and an underlying reason behind it, like the fact that like the blue is US chess and then the pink is US chess women, but it's like a bright magenta type pink, I think that I love that like internal logic, you know? I think that's really that's really important. Um and that said, I'm not giving away my red and black hat because it is so flattering. No, Everybody US loves that hat. The early days, right? Your little memory of when you first started US Chess Women. Exactly. I'm going to have to buy them all up. It's going to become, you know, a a collector's item soon. (laughs) Well, people are going to have to start, you know, um, people will have to get their hands on the new pink and blue hat, which we've yet to create, but we will be doing that soon, right? Yeah. And then you can buy it at US Chess Sales. So let me ask you this, Frankie. Um, If you could have any, anyone on Chess Life that you haven't had on yet, like on the cover of the magazine, um, who would you pick? Like, just like if it was like a complete dream cover, you, you know, obviously we're, you know, we're still in, um, as we record that, we're still in some stage of social distancing or even lockdown in different parts of the world. But suppose that's all over anywhere in the world, any person in the world, what would you do? Oh my, well, I mean, I'm probably going to give an obvious answer here because, um, well, as you know, chess life is about American players and that's where we try to sort of, stay with our focus on our cover subjects and usually American players. But, and this particular person who I think is very cool um, and would be an excellent cover subject and has been before, but not a photo shoot that we have directed. Um, We've certainly used photos of this person. Of course, it's Magnus Carlsen because he's so photogenic. I mean, there's so many pictures of him out there in the world anyway. Um, I'm not sure if we need another amazing picture of uh, Magnus Carlsen, but it would be so cool to have him and to actually direct a photo shoot with, with Magnus. I think that would be pretty great. All those angles in his face, I think, just create such a a great, uh, you know, palette for any kind of photographer because it, it really does, like, TV and um, photos, his face just so pops. I mean, I've met him in person many times. It's not – he's definitely good-looking in person, too. Many years ago, like, way back when I first started working for US Chess, we did a cover with Irina Crush. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember it. She's on the beach, and at that time, um, we were working with a photographer called Jeff in the New York area a lot. And so Jeff and Arena went to, is it Brighton Beach? Yeah, yeah. that's where she lives. She lives near yes. there. 
Yes, so he went to her and they did a photo shoot on the beach and it was a very cool cover. She was like laying in the sand with chess pieces and, and so forth. But there were some other photos that we used that he took in the magazine. And recently I was going through our Chess Life archives. I don't know if people know we have a massive archive, all of the Chess Life issues going back to insert year here, don't remember, but many, many years back. <laughs> um, so I was going through and I, I happened to spot this one cover with Irina on it. And I just thought, wow, that was such a long time ago. And she's very photogenic as well. You know, might be cool to get her back on a cover again, if we can find a reason to, to do that and to, to drag her into another photo shoot. <laughs> well, she is the, the reigning U.S. women's champion. And what a story that was. You know, she was one of my recent guests on Ladies Night, too. Now an eight-time champion, winning in a year where, you know, she, um, you know, unfortunately um, did um, contract a very ugly case of COVID um, that even made her, you know, fear for her life at some points, um, despite being quite young. She's 36 I she was 36 years old at the time. I read that. I hope that she's, I hope she's all right now. Yeah, yeah, she's feeling much better. But it, but she had, like, some of those lingering effects. And, yeah. Yeah, and so um, that was great to just see her win the U.S. Women's Championship, you know. And she's, she does a lot for uh, kids in chess now, too. I mean, she was actually a, a multiple-time guest in my uh, girls' club room as well. And, of course, the girls just love her. I'm sure they do. What a treat. You've had so many cool uh, guests on your on your show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. What about celeb what about like real world celebrities who aren't necessarily known for chess? Just because like so many of them are flocking to chess right now. Like yeah. it, if you could, you know, have like a photo shoot with one of them, like who would it be? Well, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> he's been playing a lot of chess lately and he's been on he's been doing a lot of social media stuff. And I did spot one. I think he was playing chess against a donkey or something that was pretty fun. That would be cool to reenact on a chess live cover. If we could do yeah, that. Yeah, that's I was thinking about Arnold too. That that's a great pick. Arnold, yeah. Arnold and Magnus, maybe you can do it at the same time. <laughs> so long as that's we can a- get all the animals on there as well, I think that would be really novel. <laughs> Are you a big animal lover? Well, um I, I would definitely class myself as a dog lover. Um I don't have a dog, but I do love dogs. <laughs> How about you? Do you have any pets? Um, no, I don't. I, I, I don't. I, I don't know enough about animals. I love them. Boy. But yes, my, I have to learn more. I have to learn more now that I have a four-year-old, for sure. The things you get to learn about dinosaurs, planets, animals, you get, you get this re-education in life. Speaking of which, one of our other um, old Brooklyn friends, um, you know, who is now at Chess Kid, um, Fun Master Mike Klein, you know, I, I, you know, Mike's a great friend, really love seeing him on the tour, haven't been able to see him this year, but lately I've been waking up every morning and hearing his voice as my son plays Chess Kid videos. Does he? <laughs> That's great. It's like, oh. again, I hear Mike in the, at night, I hear Mike in the morning. <laughs> Mike, Mike is brilliant, and I, I that of course makes me think of the cover that we did for Chess Life with Mike on it. Do you remember that one? Yeah, that, that wasn't that long ago. That was maybe like two years ago, something like that. And it was direct attacking moves. And and I had seen a photo that Mike was using, I think, as a profile picture on his Facebook or on somewhere on social media. And it was a chess game of him at gunpoint. I think it was a knife, and it was a very dramatic photo, um, very stylized in Photoshop and created. So I asked him about it and I said, who made that picture? Because it's so cool. I want to do something like that for Chess Life. And so 
it turns out, I forget the name of his friend now who did the work for us because it was quite a long time ago, but whoever it was, incredibly talented Photoshop artist. And Mike was able to secure him as somebody to help us create a, a cover, which we were quite lucky uh, to, to get him to do that. And Mike was the uh, the model. <laughs> and that was, that was a brilliant cover. And it would be great if we could show this one, actually, because there's, there's detail in that cover that I think that a lot of people didn't didn't realize because it's kind of in the shadows a little bit. Um, but so in, in the cover, Mike is, it's called direct attacking moves. And so he's got this enormous chess piece and he's smashing it through some glass because he's attacking with the chess piece. That was our concept. And so Mike, obviously the best model for something like that. And what's really funny is that during the photo shoot, they did so many photos of him going, ah, and smashing with the chest piece. He actually went hoarse afterwards and lost his voice just from being part of the photo shoot. So that was funny. Um, it was a great end result and very popular. And I think that, I think Mike's using it for his profile picture still, I, I think. I, can't, I haven't checked recently, but he certainly was. Very, very fun cover to work on, though, with, with somebody so talented in the Photoshop department. Just like Neil Jameson, actually, who did the... Uh, the other recent cover for the chess boom. I've had that. I've really been able to work with some very talented people. Yeah, that's that's great. I didn't, I hadn't heard that story. That's hilarious. Him losing his voice. Whoa. Oh, yeah, sorry. I the mean, detail, that yeah, he really did. And the detail I mentioned, I forgot to say, in the cover, if you look closely, he's wearing. I forget the name of the belt that has a lot of bullets in it. It's called. Is it called a bandolier? Is that right? No, I'm not. I'm not a belt connoisseur. I'm sorry. <laughs> forgotten the name of it but if you look really closely they're not bullets they're chess pieces and people didn't I don't know if everyone saw that so I just wanted to point that out I'll have to put it I'll have to put that cover in the show notes as well and it's just like so hard for me to imagine you know um fun master Mike all the uh, the ever opinionated and vivacious with nothing to say I mean <laughs> poor Mike can't talk for for a whole day I can't even imagine it <laughs> Uh, that's a, that's a good one. It really is striking, like 12 issues a year um, and so much creativity and passion poured into each one and just having to do it over and over and over again. It's like, it's really remarkable that you're able to kind of keep that um, quality up. And recently they've been so lovely. I personally just love um, the format of chess magazines and chess books. I just think it's so perfect, like the combination of all the elements the diagrams, the photographs, the text. Um, it seems like just like as other printed material maybe um, doesn't survive as much in chess, it seems like um, kind of mandatory um, to have books and magazines about it, at least to me, um, just because it's so much a part of our history. I mean, some of the oldest um, printed books are chess books. I agree. It's it's definitely, um, I've loved working for Chess Life all this time and creating um all these pages packed with chess games and, and uh, information and just the the task of being able to style all of that information and, and make it look, you know, um, not too overwhelming and yet uh, and sort of visually pleasing at the same time. Because, you know, as I said before, there's an awful lot of elements involved in creating a printed uh, printed material about chess. You have to sort of get it right and not make it too busy. <laughs> and how about you? Do you play much chess yourself, Frankie? Well, I definitely did. Um, as as a, as a child, I did. I was very into chess as a kid, but I, I really haven't over the last few years. But what is wonderful is that my children, especially my son, is taking more of an active uh, interest in it. I think what happened actually with my son Dash is that I, you know, he's like there's chess around him all the time because of my job, 
And so I think that he, you know, I would encourage him to play chess. He'd be like, no, you know, I don't want to play chess just because you do it for a job and I don't have to take it up as a hobby. So he's sort of against it for that reason. <laughs> but um, that's how he changed recently. I think it changed when he watched the movie Critical Thinking. Um, that certainly gave him a bit of a boost because I think he really loved watching a teacher up on the board explaining the moves, you know, and, and John Leguizamo in that movie is is uh, pretty, pretty great. And, and I don't know, that movie just somehow really resonated with him recently. Um, but he had taken an interest in it a little bit before that too. Um, he's the sort of kid that I think would be really good at it as well. So I'm trying to encourage that. So less chess for me, more chess for them. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And yeah, Critical Thinking, great, great film. And so excited. They're going to be doing a little event for my girls club room. So that'll be fun. And um, hey, Frankie, if you do want to bone up on your chess, you know, U.S. Chess Women has some beginners women classes. Oh, That's amazing. I didn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually more intermediate. They, you know, women are constantly underselling themselves, Frankie. So I have like people showing up to these beginner classes and they're like, they know like five openings and all their basic end game, but that's okay. It's, it's fine. It's totally fine because we, we have some really nice volunteers who teach the people who are actually real beginners. Hmm. And then our class ends up being more of like an advanced beginner class. So it works out fine. That sounds, sounds really cool. Um, I think I definitely at this point would have to go in at the beginner level again, but um, yeah, definitely curious. And I did attend your uh, recent, your first episode of your mad woman's book club which was amazing and uh you certainly had a big a big uh crowd oh yeah that that's been really fun i mean my my philosophy with that mad women's book club is just that it's hard to have a chess class and get every woman involved because people are at disparate levels like some people don't mm. know chess some people are, are champions we've had like champions like alexi root comes most times we've had three so two so far um, we had Cindy Sai, who's also a master player. So yeah, it's like, how do you get somebody like that to also be in the same room as somebody who is super excited about chess because of the Queen's Gambit, but doesn't really play yet? Mm -hmm. And I thought like kind of connecting through books and printed material that had some kind of chess theme was a great solution. And as usual, you created like a really dynamic and beautiful graphic to kind of re represent that, that, that theme that I was trying to present to people visually. Hmm. Well, thank you. I'm glad that that worked out and uh, I'm glad it's still going. I know you've got another one coming up um, next next month now. You've just done your January one. Yeah, we've done Maria Konnikova's Mastermind. John Urschel's Mind and Matter is coming up in a few days. Um, you know, it might have just passed depending on when you listen to this podcast. And then we're also going to do upcoming books like The Eight by Catherine Neville and... Um, Fiona Mutesi's book, The Queen of Catway, or actually Tim Crowther's book about Fiona Mutesi. So we got a lot of great, I mean, there's no shortage of books, especially when you kind of widen it to the idea of women's empowerment or stories about adventure. Like it doesn't have to be about chess with a capital C. Um, we can kind of broaden that because to me, it's more about like just constant learning and intellectual development and, and building a network around an intellectual activity. Yeah, it's just for me. It's a shame. It's a little late because I'm here. I know. Anything. You do it a little late in the evening, but you know, I stayed up late for the first one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that's true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Frankie, for for spending some time with me. Can you leave us with any closing words about what you love most about your work with US Chess? I love having a job where I can help people. I mean, the cause the cause is a a good one in my book, and I feel good every day going to work. 
and contributing, you know, to growing the game. Tell us how we can make sure to follow up with all of your projects and stay posted, whether it's your your new covers for U.S. Chess and Chess Life magazine or work outside U.S. Chess. Okay, well, um, as a matter of fact, lately I've got more of a social media presence than, than I've had before. I'm not always, I'm not a big social media person, but over the last few months I've been sharing my my work for U.S. Chess on LinkedIn, Frankie Butler, U.S. Chess, and also on Twitter, I'm sharing covers. And if I can persuade the editor and the directors to allow me to share the cover a little bit before it goes to press, that's what I'm trying to do now. So I'm trying to give people sneak previews of what's coming up in the issue. So you should definitely have a look there for me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Frankie Butler, um, you can look her up and also be sure to follow us on all of the U.S. Chess Networks on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn so that you can stay posted on her fantastic visual work and the storytelling at U.S. Chess. Thank you, Frankie, so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. If you like what we're doing at U.S. Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our U.S. Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The U.S. Chess suite of podcasts, including Ladies Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong After slightly My dear Capablanco, you tell me we'll learn more from our defeats. Who needs victories?